Kicking off Ivy's new masterclass series, Ivy members in Washington, D.C. heard from international speaker, founder of Day One Leadership, and author of This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters, Drew Dudley. Drew's TEDx talk, Everyday Leadership, has been viewed close to 5 million times and has been voted one of the 15 most inspirational TED Talks of all time. Members were treated to an in-depth talk that guided them on their path to cultivating the behaviors that will help them to succeed and empower those around them. So, how many of you by show of hands are completely and totally comfortable with calling yourself a leader? Oh, it's so close. It's so close to half. Okay, that never happens. I, I've asked that question to a thousand audiences around the world. Less than 1% of the time have I gotten half the people in the room to raise their hand. And most of those times were kids under the age of 12. <laughs> like there's something about the term leader that the older we get, the more we treat it like it's something we need permission to use. That rise high enough in your profession, start your own business, get enough money in your bank account, then some external organization or individual will bestow upon you whatever it is you think you need to be comfortable calling yourself a leader. But until you get the external validation on the business card, put it on your LinkedIn profile, in your email signature, what happens is I think most people worry about it making them look too cocky or arrogant if they just claim the title from themselves. Because what I'm telling you there is that you came really close to half here, which is deserved, because you showed up on a Monday night, which is indicative of the type of things that leaders do. But it also means for those of you who do lead people, the vast majority of the people that you lead, the vast majority of the people that you love, aren't comfortable calling themselves leaders. People who are make better decisions, they make them faster, and they're way more creative when they make them. That problem, the reason people aren't raising their hand, it's indicative of that society-wide tendency to make it into something bigger than us, something beyond us about money and titles and power. And that is the fault of those of us in the education system. We screwed that up. That's our bad. Because we educated you out of seeing yourselves as leaders, and we educated most of the planet out of seeing themselves as leaders. Think about who is the first person you were ever taught about as a leader? Who's the first leader you ever remember someone pointing to and saying that's a leader? By the way, yeah, I, I'm just gonna do this all night. <laughs> I, you can take the guy out of the classroom, but I'm still there. Martin Luther King was the first person you ever taught about. Who else? Just showed them out. So instead of sticking you on the... George Washington? George Washington. Don't say none of the founding fathers because I will spend the entire night doing Hamilton in my head. I'm just one more time. One last time. Uh, anyone else? Washington. MLK. What's that? Golden Maya. Look, giants, right? This is the thing. If you think back to how you were taught what leaders were, they were all giants. When you started out, they were giants. The foundational con way you started the concept were giants. Presidents, scientific brown breakers, people who conquered empires. Most of them were also white men. That's what we did in North America. That's how we taught it. We're still doing it. Look at Warren Buffett invest. Look at Steve Jobs innovate. Look at Mark Zuckerberg create this empire. And there is nothing wrong with celebrating success at all. The problem is, is that we don't see ourselves in those people necessarily. They're giants. They're a whole other species. And what happens is when we start using giants as always our examples, especially for young people, we all grow up with a gap, with a, a wedge shoved between who we are and how we perceive leadership. That's a problem, ultimately. And so I want to talk about how we can start to shift it. Because what it does is that we grow up and we don't see it as part of ourselves. So we let moments of leadership 
And I, by that I don't mean moments of being in charge, I mean moments of kindness, empowerment, generosity, the stuff that has the biggest impact on other human beings. We let those moments pass by in our lives and we don't let ourselves take credit for them and we do not let ourselves feel good about them. Now, the stuff that makes you feel good when you do them, those are the things you are driven to do again and again and again. If it feels good, you'll do it more often. So when we let moments of leadership pass by uncelebrated in our lives, and we let moments of leadership pass by the people who work with us, the people who work for us, and the people that we love, when we let moments of leadership pass by without celebrating them as leadership, what we're effectively doing is we're pulling leadership out of our organizations, out of our communities, and off the planet. We need it. Like I've studied leadership my entire adult life. I will tell you, there is no shortage of leadership on this planet. The United States Congress notwithstanding. There is no <laughs> shortage. Of, yeah, I said it right here. I'm Canadian, I can say whatever the hell I want. They might not let me back in. There's no shortage of leadership on the planet, but we are systematically ignoring a huge percentage of the leadership that surrounds us every day in our lives and the lives of the people that we care about and that we lead. I want to talk about how we can start to shift that. I want to start with this question. Hi, how are you? Pissed off right now, I can tell. <laughs> What's your personal leadership philosophy? Trust, but verify. <laughs> oh, I'm so stealing that. Okay, first of all, in leadership, you never steal an idea. You just benchmark a best practice. <laughs> Trust, but verify. All right, I like that a lot. When was the last time before this moment you spoke it out loud? A long time. A long time, that's cool. Hi, how are you? What's your personal leadership philosophy? Um, that you can leave the world a better place than you came into it. So you can leave the, but it's, it's your philosophy. So you could, so what you're saying is I can leave the world a better place than you found it, right? Yeah. Okay. When was the last time you spoke that out loud? That? Yeah. And, and that's fine. Most people haven't, it's why I ask. If you want, you can pull out your phone at some point tonight, you can do it now, because what I do is I say this now, anytime someone yanks out their phone, I just assume that they're doing this. <laughs> Makes me feel better about myself, or tweeting how great I am, one or the other. <laughs> so, if you wanna text someone who knows you really well, that you work with closely, text them, what is my personal leadership philosophy? You're going to learn an awful lot about your leadership by texting someone else, what's my personal leadership philosophy? Someone who knows you well. A personal leadership philosophy is, a principle you use to evaluate, other, to evaluate other people and situations. All right, whenever you have to face a tough decision, this is what pops into your head as a way of making that decision. Now, most people haven't thought about it. It's important because people who can do it, who have a philosophy that they continually refer to when they make decisions, and by that I mean being able to articulate it, is it means you can do it in 30 seconds or less when I ask you. If you can, which you both did, it's not the first time you've done so in the last 72 hours. And if, you ask, if I ask someone who knows you really well what your leadership philosophy was, they can rhyme it off for me. That's what articulating a personal leadership philosophy means. Now, not only will they rhyme it off for me, they will probably roll their eyes when they do. <laughs> that means you've said it so often. It's become such a part of your identity, and that is so important. People should really roll their eyes when they repeat your personal leadership philosophy because it just means you've hammered it home again and again. But when you're clear about it, what it means is that people understand how you evaluate their decisions and how you evaluate your own. That's what knowing it does. On a, on a research level, individuals who can do it 
are ranked 110% higher on overall leadership effectiveness than people who are not. They have, they're rated 140% higher by the people that they lead compared to the people who are led by people who don't have this. They have teams with higher levels of productivity and pride and commitment to the organization, and you are 135% more likely to be trusted if you are seen as somebody who has a personal leadership philosophy. So when you walk out of here tonight, first thing I want you to do is thinking about what is it? And do I repeat it enough to myself and to other people? If you don't know what it is, ask a dozen of your friends or coworkers. That'll open your eyes, because that's how I found out what mine was. When I found out this research, I said, okay, I want to know what my, my leadership philosophy is. So I asked 10 of my students. And seven of them said almost exactly the same thing. Apparently, this is my personal leadership philosophy. And now that I know it, I stick to it. When you don't know what to do in a situation, ask yourself, what would the person who I want to be do in this situation? Then do that. <laughs> that is such a powerful philosophy for me, it is tattooed on the inside of my left forearm. Because whenever you're fight, I'm faced with a big decision, I look down there and it's annoying. All right? Because often what the man I want to be would do comes with consequences. This is a problem with value-based decision making, is that often the option most consistent with your values sucks. It's not the one that allows you to look the best. It's not the one that allows you to avoid the most consequences. It's not the one that allows you to keep the job, keep the money, or remain in the relationship. But it's almost always the decision you're happiest you made five years from now. What I found is that leaders make decisions in a particular way in the work that I've done. They make every decision in their life as if they're explaining it to a room full of people that they respect five years from now. Standing up and saying, five years ago I was faced with this and this is what I did. And when you do that, a lot of the noise that surrounds your decision making tends to fall away. But what we tend to do is we make decisions with one particular criteria. What will avoid the most consequences right now? That's not how leaders make decisions, but it is what we are driven to do every day. Now, the problem with this is that in my work of 15 years of personal leadership development, what I found is that most people are not clear on what kind of person they want to be. They don't know who they want to be. They know what we want to do, because you all went through an education system that taught you you should pay the most attention to things on which you are going to be tested. That's what the education system teaches you. This is what you remember, the stuff that's going to be on the test. And it goes all the way through our lives. The problem is we are never tested on what are your core values. We are never tested on what, who do you want to be. We're asked all the way through what do you want to do. And we are never tested on what criteria are you going to use to make the biggest decisions in your life. And because we are never tested on those things, we actually end up our own worst subject. I was one of those people. I was 28 the first time I ever gave a lecture at U of T. University of Toronto. I talked about leadership theory. Theory is the word you add to interesting things to make them boring. <laughs> so I got bored halfway through because I couldn't keep s selling this stuff to my students. So I started talking about some of the things I talk about now. And at the end of the workshop, a young woman came up and said what every educator on the planet wants to hear at the end of their first lecture. She said, I don't get it. <laughs> I said, it's kind of a broad concept. She said, I don't understand leadership anymore. I said, that's all right. We have all semester to figure out what leadership means to you. That's why we're doing this course. And she says, no, I understood leadership before I came to your class today. Now I don't understand leadership anymore. Which is my whole purpose in life now. That's my whole purpose in putting people in front of a room, putting me in front of a room. But at the time, it was our first day, I thought I'd let her down. So I said, okay, what confuses you the most? We'll start there. 
And she said, I'm an international student. I didn't grow up here. I'm here studying abroad. Where I grew up, we were always taught the smartest people are supposed to be the leaders. The smartest people are the ones who get the best grades in school. So if you get good grades in school, it is your way of showing the world that one day you deserve to be a leader. And if you don't, it's your way of showing the world that you never deserve that responsibility. But after listening to you, I think leadership means something different in Canadian. <laughs> and we can talk about whether Canadian's own language later, eh? But she says, could you explain what leadership means to you in the simplest English terms possible? And I do not know if you've ever been asked a question to which you are certain you have an answer. Till someone asks you the question? Because I open my mouth to give what I think both she and I assumed would be a brilliant answer. Nothing. Completely blanked on it. So I did what pro professors have been doing for years when you get stumped by a question. Well, what do you think? <laughs> Enduring credit, only student ever looked back at me and said, I don't know, that's why I asked you. And I said, I tried this one. Well, why don't you go home and think about it? <laughs> Reflect on it. And we will start next class with a discussion. And she said, thank you, sir. No problem. Because now I get to go home and figure out the answer. And I joke about that now. I was profoundly upset by that exchange. I was really angry at myself because leadership was a value I wanted to embody every day of my life. I wanted to stand for leadership in everything I did personally and professionally. And she had asked me the most basic question. Could you explain what it means in simple English? And I choked on it. And so I, gave, I went home and I posed myself a hypothetical that I'm going to pose to all of you in this room. But you, my friend, get to answer on behalf of the room. Are you cool with that? Okay. I want you all to imagine that I have someone follow you around for 30 days out of your life. And they see every interaction of which you are a part. Public, private, online, and virtual. Which is where a bunch of people bail out of this hypothetical, okay? <laughs> they see how you interact with people you love, with people you can't stand, and with individuals you've never met before in a restaurant or a grocery store, wherever. At the end of those 30 days, if I sat that person down and said, you followed, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, my friend? Corbin. If you followed, you followed Corbin around for a month, you had no idea, what three values does he want to put out into the world more than any others? What three values does he want to leave in his wake as he moves through the world personally and professionally? What three values does he pivot to when he has to make a big decision? And what three values does he want his kids to take out there in the world if and when he has any? If you've been the man or if you've been the woman that you want to be for those 30 days, what three values do you hope that person says you stand for? I've got one. Okay. Perseverance. Perseverance. Got the other two? Okay, I'm gonna move on for a sec, I'm gonna come back. How about you, what's your three? Um, so, motivation. Motivation. Um, being good human. Decency. decency. I think we should all aim for higher than decency, yeah. you're right, but I, 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 there's a better word I'm just not coming up with. Solid human being. Yeah. Um, Everyone always does. They can get two if I give them an up, but we always blank on the third. Perseverance. Imagine a young woman from my class walks up to you and says, I have never heard the word perseverance before. Could you explain what it means in the simplest English terms possible? And please start your answer with the phrase, a commitment to. A commitment to not giving up. Not giving up on your goal. Prior to this moment, when was the last time you said that definition out loud? Never. Ever said. And it's the number one value you want to stand for, yeah. right? 
you're not alone in that. It's why it's in this presentation. The, all these words that we use all the time, I went home that night and I posed myself the same hypothetical. There's a room full of people I highly respect and they're talking about me and I'm not there. What kind of words do I want them to use? And I came up with about 40 of them, and this is just a portion of it, respect and friendship and integrity, which is by far and away the number one that gets thrown around. But what happened is every one of these words I wrote down, I then imagined the young woman from my class walking up to me and saying, I have never heard the word respect before. That word does not exist in my language. Could you explain what it means in the simplest English terms possible? Now, like most of you in this room, you give me five to 10 minutes with any one of those words, and I can give you a remarkable definition for every single one of them. But I was 28 years old that night, and it was the first time in my life that I had ever bothered to define most of them. The problem was I had spent the better part of a decade and a half evaluating myself as a leader, as a professional, as a friend, and as a human being based on how well I lived up to this list of values. And I judged other people swiftly, and I judge them harshly if I think that they don't live up to one of these values. And yet I had never bothered to define what any of them meant. Most of us, whether we're aware of it or not, the primary determinant of how you judge yourself and other people is by comparing yourself and them to some list of values that you have in your head. That's how you decide how you feel about yourself and other people. The thing is, we aren't aware what the list is. We are making most of the judgments in our lives using criteria we have never identified and never defined, which means that we are not consistent in it. It's why I tell every leader of every age, of every background, we have to take the time to define the things that we want to define us. There are a lot of books on management, and there are a lot of books on leadership theory, and I, there, there's so many that are great. But I think that one of the things we have to start, the most profoundly effective leaders I know, they start by defining the things they want to define them. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> if you haven't defined what perseverance means to you, if you haven't turned it into a goal so you know when you hit it, if you haven't clearly said these are the behaviors that are consistent with perseverance or with trust or with respect, you could be, and you probably are, embodying perseverance every day of your life. The problem is you are never giving yourself permission to celebrate that fact. Most of the moments in your life where you are living up to the person and the leader that you want to be are going by unrecognized and uncelebrated by you. And look, it is the celebrations in our lives that drive us forward, that give us momentum, that give us confidence, that inspire other people. And I believe that setting goals is basically planning celebrations. And we set goals for our career, and we set goals for our businesses, and we set goals for our financial lives. My argument, and this is the part that so many leaders skip over, my argument is a personal culture of leadership comes from spending just as much time and just as many resources and just as much energy setting and chasing goals for your character and your impact on a daily basis as you do for your business, as you do for your career, and as you do for your financial life. Why? Because you can be wildly successful, and I've gotten to speak to some of the most successful people on the planet. But if you haven't taken the time to define the things you want to define you, people really struggle with what I think is an essentially important question. And you cannot inspire others, and you cannot lead others, and you cannot feel fulfilled if you can't answer this question. It's the hardest one in the presentation, and you, my friend, are dapper as hell. <laughs> Got to add a vest, though. <laughs> Just saying, because you'd look good. All right, are you ready for the toughest question in the presentation? Why do you matter? I 
give others the belief that they don't have in themselves? That is an awesome answer. When was the last time you were asked the question? That question? Yeah. Never. Okay, cool. Anybody have kids? How old are they? 10, 8, and 4. Okay, go home tonight and ask your kids that question. Okay? Just say, why do you matter? Okay? Here's the thing. The, I, 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 I don't know, I'm pretty confident of this. The one, who, the one who's four will give you the best answer. Kids under five give you answers that melt you when you ask that question. But once we send our kids to school, what starts to happen is they stop believing that why they matter is up to them to determine. And it's supposed to be evaluated externally. And we all went through that. For 20 of the most formative years of our lives, we all went through a system that said, why you matter, not your job to determine. Somebody else has to evaluate it. And because we spent 20 years doing it, we never unlearned that lesson. First person I ever asked was an incredible student, a brilliant student. And you didn't know what was next after undergrad. First time in your life where you don't know what's next, right? And so I asked him, first person I ever asked that question, why do you matter? And he blinked twice. And then he went, well, I don't yet. That's why I'm working so hard. Unacceptable answer to get from anyone you care about. But I started asking other students. Then I started asking other grown-ups. Then I started asking senior executives. And I realized the sheer volume of people going through this world with the philosophy, I don't matter yet, that's why I'm working so hard, absolutely overwhelmed me. Well, the big thing is they did matter, and you do matter. But we aren't giving ourselves evidence of it, clear, obvious evidence of it. And as such, we don't necessarily act like it, and we don't necessarily act like other people do as well. It's so, look, I spent 15 years in higher education. I wanted to know how on earth do we claim what we're delivering to anyone is in education when some of the most dynamic, passionate, driven, well-educated people on the planet cannot answer why do you matter because no one's ever asked them before. That's an essential question to be able to define for yourself. It changes you when you do every day, and it makes you more likely you'll make other people realize the same thing. You know why it's so hard to answer it? Because we hope to matter, and we hope to lead, and we hope to make a difference. And hope is a wildly powerful force. You should foster hope in your life and the lives of everyone you touch. Hope, however, is a terrible strategy. If you want to matter, and you want to lead, and you want to make a difference in every role in your life, as a person and as a professional, you have to plan to lead, you have to plan to matter, and you have to plan to make a difference. It's not something you hope to do. There has to be a conscious step-by-step -step process. And I want to lay out the one that I use every day to make sure that I can point directly to moments of leadership that I cannot ignore and that I cannot deny. And in the process, empower other people, grow my business, and make, me, uh, make my career successful. It started, started with that same student who told me it's a lot easier to stand up for an ideal than it is to live up to one. And I think he stole that too. <laughs> but I thought, well, that's so true. So I want to do a social experiment. And I gave them this power. And I want you to consider this power too. So where do you work? Capital One. Capital One. Okay, so massive, right? Yeah. Okay. I left my wallet at home, so I don't know what's in it. <laughs> but... <laughs> I gave my students this power. You get to pick one value and one value only. Whatever value you pick, every single member of this community will do one thing every day to live up to that value. It will not be the only value that they live up to. It's the only guaranteed one. If you had that power for Capital One, 
what value would you pick? Integrity. Integrity. All right, please finish this sentence. Integrity is a commitment to what? Doing what's right and standing up. Who, des something wrong. who decides what's right? I think there's certain things that are universally right. There's Not anymore. Things that are, <laughs> fair point. There are other things that are on the margins. Yeah. See, what I'm doing there is something that we lost along the way, too. We lost the follow-up. We lost the follow-up of ourselves, and we lost the follow-up of asking other people. School taught us to answer the first question and then move on to the next one. All right, because what we've done is that we've convinced ourselves that we're fully aware of the decisions we're making and the, the values we're using, but we're not. We don't ask follow-ups anymore. My students, that's a good one, though. Integrity, that's a good definition of it. The thing is, we're doing it now, for some, in some cases, for the first time tonight. And we all want to live lives of integrity, but we can't say what it means, which means we can't target it, which means we don't give ourselves credit when we actually live it. And we don't plan to do it, we just hope to. Now, my students chose impact, and I pulled that same trick. What the hell does it mean? They said it's a commitment to creating moments that cause people to feel as if they are better off for having interacted with you. I said, awesome, go do it. We should all go do that, right? For the rest of the week, we should all do that. Well, we tried that for four days, and then it wore off. Because what I, I, what I did is I told my students, you can't leave this school until you come by my office at the end of the day, this is the assignment, and you tell me one thing you did that lived up to that. And they'd get into my office and they'd stand in the outer office and they'd do this. And what they were doing is looking back over their day and trying to identify moments where they'd done this. And every one of them had one. But what was clear is they were using their core value to evaluate behavior that had already happened. What leaders do is they use their values to drive behavior and they use their values to change decision making in the moment. So we needed a different approach. And I got it, I stole it from psychology professors. Beautiful thing about working at a university. Anything you need to know, there is some world-renowned expert down the hall. So I went to the psych department and said, I would like to control my students' behavior. <laughs> and they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. But I then explained exactly what we were trying to do. And they told me two psychological effects that really formed how we, we went about it from there on in. One is called the Zigarnik effect. The Zigarnik effect sounds sophisticated and cool and scientific. You know what it is? The Zigarnik effect is this. Stuff that you haven't finished takes up a more prominent space in your consciousness than stuff that you have. Shit you haven't done bugs you. All right, your, your to-do list that isn't finished, that stuff stays up. No matter how many things you scratch off, you immediately forget them and focus on what's not done. I did not know it had a cool scientific name. <laughs> that is the Garnick effect. Then there's the question behavior effect. Question behavior effect says that if I ask you questions about a particular behavior in the morning, oh, what is impact to you? Who is the most impactful person you know? How have you had impact today? You are far more likely to engage in behavior that's consistent with that value later in the day and you won't even know it. So these two psychological effects, when combined with a conscious effort to change behavior, drove behavior. So I said this, if questions drive human behavior, and if unfinished things cause psychic discomfort such that you want to get them done, unanswered questions cause humans huge discomfort. Humans cannot stand unanswered questions. Throughout history, whenever we don't understand something, where do you think legends come from? Right? We, we make up answers for where things come from. So I said, let's come up with a different approach. We're going to try this. We're going to come up with a question. A question that's carefully crafted so that in order to answer it, you have to do something. And if you do that something, you will have lived the value. And the specific question we tried was this. 
What have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Because that question has to be specific. It demands you pick a specific moment. You want to be someone of impact? You can't just say that you're someone of impact. You've got to prove it. And instead of coming up with a nebulous concept like chasing impact, you had a very specific task, answer that question. But you can't answer that question. If I walked up to you and I said the way that you treat other people, the way that you support the things you care about, the way you stand up for what you believe in inspires me and you are an amazing leader, it is really unlikely you're going to walk away from that interaction not feeling better about yourself. So you can't answer this question without living the value. So don't overthink it. Answer the question. For seven days, I made people promise to do this and journal the answer. This question made me quit my job. Because a week later when we got together, 12 students and myself, to talk about how we had answered that question, the profound impact that it had made, us, made me realize how powerful this process was. They had leaned into this. Their coaches, their teachers, Cub and, Boy and Girl Scout leaders, people from their past, the incredibly nice hot dog guy on campus. Somewhere where you are, there's a, there's a member of the service industry that when you interact with them, you walk away feeling better. They know your name, they know what's going on in your life, they smile in the morning. That was this guy. And honestly, I walked up to him on Thursday and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I'm getting a hot dog. And he said, no, three people have called me a leader this week. I'm assuming you have something to do with that. <laughs> My favorite was one of my students uh, waited at the bus stop for his, uh, for his teacher from kindergarten to grade eight. And he got on the bus at 22 years of age. And the bus driver, because he's good at his job, went, what are you doing? And he said, I rode this bus every day for nine years. And I was fat and I was smart. It's a crappy combo in elementary school. And I was bullied so mercilessly that what happened was, every day before I would leave my house, I would stand in the foyer and I would cry as hard as I could for 30 seconds. Then I could go out the door. And I'd wait here and I'd get on your bus and I'd sit at the front, because the cool kids sit at the back. Always have and always will. And you'd drive us to school and you would sing Disney songs loudly. And the kids in the back were merciless. And you heard it and you didn't care. And all I cared about in my life was what these kids in the back thought. And just watching another human being not give a crap, most days it's what made me say, okay, I can do this for one more day. It's the only person I ever saw not care about them. And he goes, honestly, I go to Harvard next year for grad school and you're as big a part of that as any teacher I ever had. And I never told you how important a leader you were in my life. And of course, we're all like on the edge of our chairs. And we're like, what did he say? And he says, he appreciated it. <laughs> There were so many like that. I, I've done an entire keynote just on the answers to that question that happened for myself and over the course of that week. We came back and we realized we were on to something and we named the process Operationalizing Leadership Values. Because at the University of Toronto, if it doesn't sound pretentious, you're not trying hard enough. Operationalizing a leadership value is where actual leadership behaviors on a very, very base fundamental personal leadership level start. And it has three key steps. One. Pick something you want to stand for. Pick a value that you want to put out there in the world that's non-negotiable, that needs to happen on top of all the other things you have to get done. This is who you want to be. Pick one. Then, step two, define clearly what it means. Start with the phrase, a commitment to, because that has to be followed by a verb. It has to be followed by behaviors. Now, when you do those two things, 
What you've effectively done, it's not just some nice self-reflective activity. When you do those two things, when you identify your values and you define what they mean, what you've effectively done is you've created a clear set of criteria for decision making. That's it, a clear set of criteria for decision making. For the rest of your life, personally and professionally, decision making involves doing this. Here are the options available to me, here are my values, which one of these options is most consistent with those values? And, and that may sound more complicated, but when you do it, you know the one that's right. The difficult part is, again, making your criteria based on what's your value and not what will avoid the most consequences. If you haven't identified your values and you haven't defined what they mean, what criteria have you been using to make decisions your whole life? It's been inconsistent. And usually, if it's been anything, it's what will avoid the most consequences right now. <coughs> That's the key there. Third step, take a question, an action-oriented question, which means it cannot be answered yes or no, and embedded into your day. Start with one. And what happens is you add them as you go. An action-oriented question means not yes or no. It means it can be answered many different ways on every single day. And it's something that you're excited to go out there and do. That's the question that we started with. 30 days later, we journaled for 30 days. 30 days later, we added a second value and a second question. Then a third. By the end of the year, we had created what I call, or what we called, the leadership test. And if we wanted to claim we were leaders, it wasn't about how much power we had. Because when you're 21 years old, you don't have any power. But I didn't want them waiting until they became a manager or a business owner before they started to feel like I need to know what a leader is. But they wanted their behavior to be consistent with who they wanted to be because that's what leads to those types of positions. Ultimately, the leadership test was a way that we evaluated whether or not we were leaders today. Today, that's it. It was six questions, and our goal was we had to get three out of six. Here's the way we approached this, and here's how I still approach the world. You have to earn every new day on this planet. At the end of the day, you have to prove you deserve tomorrow. That would be a fundamental shift in how we live our lives, because now we're doing it at the end of our lives, we have to evaluate that. Ultimately, every single day you have to prove to yourself you deserve another day on the planet. Now, you prove it by passing the leadership test. Three out of six questions. And the bonus about the leadership test is you have the questions in the morning. It's an open book test. You know exactly what you're gonna get asked at the end of the day, so you have all day to answer the questions. Now, what the book is about, and I understand you're getting the book, is about how to figure out your values and create your own personalized leadership test tied to your values. That's what my book is about. That's what I help people do. Surface their leadership values and then create their own questions, their own leadership test. For today, I want to share with you the one that we started with. It's evolved over time. And this, this, these six questions, I think, make for better leaders, better lives, and better organizations. Here's the six that you can walk out of here today on day one. And if you make them a part of your life, you're going to see improvements. You're going to see impact. You're going to see growth. You're going to see people who want to work for you, and you're going to see people who are better at what they do. And the first one is impact. What have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Make this a part of your day for one month. Honestly, this sounds simple. It's simple, but it doesn't mean little, okay? This stuff is simple, and a lot of people who are very successful have said, it's touchy-feely, and I've moved past this. They haven't moved past it, they skipped over it. Right, we did. The more successful you are, the less you pay attention to who you want to be. Because when you were young, if you're a high performer, very early on, people figured out you could get shit done. And then they wanted that from you. And you got rewarded for it. And so you kept doing it. And we spent no time stopping and saying, who the hell do I want to be in all of this? The higher the and more successful the person, the less attention they paid to who they want to be. Because their life has been taken over by what they want to do and what other people need from them and expect from them. 
So make that a part of your life for, for 30 days. Your relationships will get better, your career will get better, and your life will get better. Journal how it's done. Because on the days that things suck, you can open up the journal and say, all right, here's proof I don't. Growth. The older we get, the less conscious we are of growing. When you're a kid, growth happens without any, paying any attention. What have I done today to make it more likely someone will learn something? One of the greatest ways to do that as a leader is to change the type of questions you ask. Here's a challenge for all of you as you go out the door. All day tomorrow, do not make a statement and do not tell a story. Only ask questions for one full day of your life. Not one thing comes out of your mouth that isn't a question. You will be the most fascinating person on earth to your friends tomorrow. <laughs> I know that's weird, but people are never feel that you're more interesting than when you say nothing and only ask them. But here's what great leaders do. The questions they asked are specifically designed so that the person answering the question learns more than the person asking it. Why do you matter? What values would you identify if you walked through the world? What value would you pick if you could pick just one? Those aren't about me getting the answers, although I love it when I get a great one. It's about ma making people recognize they don't know the answers. So instead of making a statement or correcting someone, ask questions, let them learn. That's what powerful leaders do, and that's how we answer that question every day, is by challenging people with a question they haven't considered before. Leaders ask different types. Courage, what did I try today that might not work but tried anyway? We were educated out of courage. Because y'all went through a system, I'm really hard on the education system because I lived there. We all went through a system that taught us you begin with 100% when you start. And every mistake you make, you lose points. And you never get the points back. And what that does is it creates people who are less concerned about how wise they are, talented they are, and capable they are at any given moment, and it puts all the focus on how few mistakes you made along the way. And ultimately, we become not, we don't want to learn. What we do is we try to avoid mistakes. And what we do as leaders is we evaluate people based on how few mistakes they make as opposed to how good they are right now, often as a result of those mistakes. This question has changed my life. This question has led me to eat at chef's tables. It led me to fly in a private jet. It led me to drive a Formula 2000 race car until I asked what the third pedal was for and then I was no longer allowed in the race car. <laughs> and I met the love of my life because of that question. What it does is it reminds you that you have a great deal of courage, but what we do is we assume we'll, we'll use it when we need it. What this does is it reminds you you have a piece of it every day. There's a, th a concept called rejection therapy that two guys I interviewed taught me about. 24 hours, they try to be rejected as many times as possible. They said we learned three incredible things. One, you're not rejected nearly as often as you think you will be. You have to try sometimes. Two, when you are rejected and you expect it or you're hoping for it, it has absolutely no impact on your self-worth. And three, and this might be a Canadian thing, even when you are rejected, you are almost always offered something better than what you currently have. What did I try today that might not work but tried anyway? And one of the most powerful thing, ways you can answer that is to use the three most powerful words in leadership. I don't know. School taught us that is the worst thing that you can say out loud because then you lose points. In life though, and in leadership, it's hard to use those three words and not learn something. And what it does, it gives all the, the permission to the people who work with you to openly acknowledge what they don't know. Because what gets your business in trouble for those you manage people is when they're trying to hide that. You being open about that helps. Empowerment, what have I done today to help someone else move closer to a goal? We're taught to compete from a very young age. First time you ever got a grade, right? Well, why would they be grading us if it wasn't to rank us? And why would they be ranking us if it wasn't so the people at the top get something the people at the bottom don't get? 
And was that reinforced over the next 15 years? Was. What happens is we end up believing that we live in a world of scarcity. The great leaders I know, they do not live in an economy of scarcity, where if you get something, it's less for me. What they do is they live in an economy of abundance, which recognize there's, there may only be so many jobs and there may only be so much money, but there is no limit to the amount of self-worth, satisfaction, and happiness available to us if we can disconnect it from our paychecks and from our job titles. The idea that we live in an economy of scarcity is what leads to so many of the things of which we're ashamed. Greed, jealousy, people building their empires on the exploitation of others, and the bullying that starts in our playgrounds and goes all the way up to our boardrooms. If you can outperform, what I tell business students, I get invited to speak at business schools all the time. If you, if you can outperform 90% of the people in an organization, you'll probably make six figures. But if you can become the type of person where everyone who works with you outperforms everyone who doesn't work with you, then you're indispensable. And not enough of us make that our goal in our own lives and not enough managers reward those people. What they do is we reward high performers because we're afraid of losing the high performers. But ultimately, what we do is we reward the people who make everyone around them better. Sometimes at the cost of losing our highest performers, we create better, more interdependent teams. If you give people the opportunity to chase a goal where if they reach it, they'll be rewarded even if the team fails, they will always chase that goal because then they're independent. But if you don't reward people, if the team doesn't succeed, you make the team interdependent. Some people hate that. Some people hate it because they're not in charge of their own fate. But what happens is teams that are interdependent always achieve more. Reward the people and push yourself to be the type of person where everyone who works with you outperforms everyone who doesn't. I want to teach you three words that save careers. Elevate, don't escalate. Leaders elevate situations, they never escalate them. Elevating means trying to succeed. Escalating means trying to win. You want to know the difference here? I'm here in the, the heart of American politics. Politics and leadership. The difference between the two is how fear is used. In politics, fear is added in an attempt to win. In leadership, fear is removed in an attempt to succeed. Be leaders, not politicians. And you can, politicians can be leaders, but unfortunately, too often they're not. Three words, when you're getting triggered, when you're getting poked, elevate, don't escalate, elevate, don't escalate. We're the only creatures on the planet with a gap between stimulus and response. We're it, we got it. Your, your leadership, your success, your career, will almost your relationships will almost always be based on how well you use the gift of that gap. And my final one, self-respect. There is no hole in your life or career that cannot be filled with self-respect. It's the foundation of everything else. Leadership is not martyrdom. If you work 90 hours a week, you don't see your loved ones, you don't eat right, you don't do the things you love, what you're effectively saying is, look how terrible I treat myself, feel free to treat me the exact same way. You have to build something into your days that is for you because you cannot add value to other people's lives until you've added enough value to your own. And not enough leaders do that. Yes, we serve others. Servant leadership is essential. But you have nothing to give as a servant if you are completely empty. Now, happiness has to be cultivated. What I mean by that is, whoever came up with this, look, when bad things happen, you just have to look at the silver lining. Yeah, that person didn't live a human life. <laughs> look, there are days where we're too hurt, where we're too angry, where we're too betrayed to just decide to look at the world like it's a good thing. So, on your good days, cultivate happiness for the pissed off version of you two weeks or a month or tomorrow. All right, so think of something today that you could embed into your workflow, into your work day, that will have a positive impact on you in the future. And this is usually simple shit. 
All right, anyone like those little Werther's toffees? If you don't, I don't want to know you. <laughs> Stick them in the cup holder of your car. There will be a day where you walk out and you've been pissed off at somebody or someone has screwed you over and you will look down in there and you will be like, yes, pass me, well done. It's a <laughs> tiny thing, but they're important that you did that. If you drive to work, which I would never do in this city, I've only been here for a day, you have the longest like stoplights of any place I have ever been. I'm just like, how, how are there not more homicides here? Because I would just lose it sitting in those cars. But if you don't have the photograph or on the back of your door of someone you love that you see every day, you are missing an opportunity that you could do today that for five years. Sometimes the people we love, we don't like them very much. So my photograph is double-sided. My mom and dad are on one side. Jennifer Lawrence is on the other. <laughs> Something, what have you done today to be, what have you done today to be good to yourself? Yeah. Um, I love to train and work out and I do other things. Exercise. If you want to look at, look, I'm not trying to do this research professor thing here, because all of you seem to read those books anyway, but ultimately <laughs> the, the change that comes when you do that is profound. I cannot stress enough how taking care of other people and taking care of a business has to start with taking care of yourself and it's the first thing that goes. You know what? If you sleep less than seven hours a night regularly, it is worse for you than smoking. I, I could not believe that when I saw it. But the number one resource that young, particularly young leaders do not use is sleep. We think that somehow sacrificing it makes us better or at other things. I'm not kidding you. Like read the book, Why We Sleep, You'll sleep seven and eight hours a night from that, that moment on. Because I know it's so hard to believe. I read it, changed my life. I'm going to wrap with this. Uh, and then I'll answer some questions a little bit later on too. Um, my company is called Day One Leadership. I call it that because I've had a lot of day ones in my life and it shaped the way that I choose to try to behave as a leader. Day One Leadership is based on a, a fundamental idea. Every single person on the planet wakes up every day having done the same amount to earn the title of leader? Nothing. When you wake up in the morning, you've done nothing to earn the title of leader. And too many of us are looking saying, well, I'm this, or I've risen to here, or I've started this company. I've established that I'm a leader, even if I'm not comfortable with it. But day one leadership says, none of it matters. And it's because I've had so many day ones in my life. I had day one of starting my own company. I left a university, the most secure job on the planet. And the three most addictive things on the planet, crack, carbohydrates, and a salary. <laughs> I had day one of, as a vocal advocate for mental health awareness, which meant being open about the fact I'm bipolar in a world that still equates, equates mental illness with mental weakness. And when every part of my career is contingent on you finding credibility in my ideas, that was scary to start. I had day one on a health voyage that took me from 320 pounds to whatever the heck I am today, I don't measure it. What I do is I ask myself, the behaviors that took me from that to this, am I still doing them every day? That's what matters, not what the scale says, because that'll take care of itself. And I had day one of a life without alcohol. And that forms so much of the leadership that I want to talk about. I am powerless over alcohol. Step one. Day one leadership in many ways was born at my first ever meeting, when there was a guy there, 38 years sober, he was the speaker, and I went up to him and I said, oh my God, man, 38 years. He goes, son, I have just as many hours in today as you do. And I was so blown away by that idea. The idea of day one is that in, in recovery, I learned that if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you have to choose not to have a drink today. 
And then you have to treat every day of the rest of your life as if the first day of your recovery. Because day ones have an in, in, a built-in commitment, humility, and forgiveness. If you screw up on day one, if you don't succeed, you can't just give up and say, I'm not trying again. You recommit and you start over as if it's the first day and you forgive yourself. If you got 25 years of doing something, and in my case, drinking, in your case, leadership, okay? If you've been doing it for 25 years and you've risen to the very top of your profession, it doesn't matter. All that matters is whether or not you lived leadership today. What are your non-negotiable leadership behaviors? Have you identified what you want to stand for? Have you defined what it meant? And have you come up with a strategy to make sure you're giving yourself evidence for it? For me, I want impact, I want growth, I want courage, empowerment, class, and self-respect. And all the things that I, want, that I was taught to want growing up, money and influence and success and freedom, those all came to me as the natural byproducts of living my core values every day. Not when I had time. Look, if you can only give me evidence that you've lived your leadership values three times a week, then they're not your values. They're a hobby. Ultimately, the greatest leaders are the ones who point every day to evidence. And you can do those questions through your work. This isn't an additional thing. This has to be embedded in. And it psychologically works. And it seems so simple. What are your values? What do they mean? What are your questions? And put those questions in your phone noon, 3, 6, and 9 p.m. And when they pop up as a recurring thing, you'll roll your eyes and you'll get annoyed, but you will make sure that you live it. Ultimately, what I found is this. And I'm running out of time, right? I'm going to cut it off here and I'll tell you a story at the end. After you talk, I got an assignment for you. <laughs> Anyone ever been in love? <laughs> some, some of you might be with, like. <laughs> you know how you know when you're in love? When uh, you have no version of the future anymore that doesn't have that person in it. Like any version of the future, you could be doing a million different jobs, you could be living in a million different places, but there's one consistent thing and they are in it. And you don't even know when it happens. Just one day you realize, I have no version of my future. That person's not in. And that's where I finally, it took me 38 years for that to happen. And then all of a sudden I had no version of my future that didn't have her in it. And then in January of 2017, she died very suddenly. And every version of my future got blown to hell. Sorry, that was really rude, I apologize. It got blown up, it got blown up badly. And what happens though is I realized what this gave me is a, is a roadmap through uncertainty. There's so much uncertainty in your lives, particularly when you're young. Uncertainty in your careers, uncertainty in your finances, uncertainty in your relationships. And the problem is when we're uncertain about the future, we are often hesitant to act in the present because we're afraid what we do in the present will screw up the future. So we tread water. It's much more important to be decisive than certain in life. And what this does for you when you establish your values and your questions every day is even when you have no idea what next week will hold or next month, even when you are completely lost in your life and your career, you at least have a very clear roadmap for today. I have no idea still. I'm still putting my future together, but I did decide that whenever that future arrives, I wanna like the man who's there. And whatever your future holds, if you start acting today, every day consistent with a great man, when you don't know what to do, ask yourself, what would a great man do? What would a great woman do? And then do that. And everything that we're taught to chase, money, power, influence, prestige, they're the natural byproducts that come from that. And even if they don't, you're way more okay with who you are. And that may seem fluffy and it may seem like it's not management or how the hell do I run my team? This ultimately is about what you expect from yourself. 
And if you are not clear about what you expect from yourself, if you do not publicly live up to those expectations, then nobody cares what you expect from them. Every one of you in this room who has to lead a team, if you can't point out why you matter every day, if you can't give yourself evidence, why should they care what, they, what you expect from them? If you don't say, this is what I expect from me, and you share it. What this does is on all, look, I'll close with this and then give you your assignment, but <laughs> you have an assignment, I swear to God, there's like a little 10 minute assignment you have to do. I know, I hate that shit too, but it's gonna be fun. <laughs> you are not always in charge of what you have to do every day, but you're always in charge of who you are. And leaders never ever allow that power to go latent. They never ignore it on a daily basis in the name of your to-do list. With a phone and a computer, I can answer my six questions in less time than it takes me to empty my inbox. For most of my life, I prioritized that inbox over being the man I wanted to be. When I shifted that, I had a clear path every day for momentum, even when I didn't know where it was taking me. And that's what I wanted to share with all of you today. And maybe it was expecting something slightly different when it comes to leadership. This is personal leadership. This is the foundation. On day one, what are your non-negotiable leadership behaviors? And make sure that you never let a day go by where you're not living them, because there is nothing more important than that. But all, I'm not telling you to sacrifice all these things that you want. I am telling you they're more likely to arrive when you are the person that you want to be. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.